Today we're going to be in the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. If you are newer to the Bible, this is in the New Testament. And the New Testament, the first four books of the New Testament are the Gospels. This is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the life and the teachings of Jesus. So if you want to read about the life of Jesus and the miracles and the teachings of Jesus, you read one of those Gospels. This is the Gospel of Mark. Now, Mark is a little bit different than a couple of the other Gospels. Again, these are written by different people, different points of view. Some stories are in all four. Some details are different in some one Gospel to the other. Just different perspectives, different authors, different points of view. But one thing that the Gospel of Mark is different in, in that it doesn't tell the Christmas story. It doesn't make any mention of Jesus' birth or anything at the start of Jesus' life. He picks right up, kind of skips over that whole section of Jesus' life, which we really don't know a lot about Jesus' childhood. We have the Christmas story, but that's about it in in the other Gospels. But Mark chapter 1 kind of covers over a lot of that stuff, and then it breezes through some pretty important things and gets right to the action. Mark, the, the writer of Mark must have been someone who's just like, let's get to the Let's get to the good stuff. Let's get to the action. Um, so he starts it out with John the Baptist is preparing the way. John the Baptist would be, you know, the last of the prophets who were prophesying that a Messiah is coming. So John the Baptist, even while Jesus was alive and close to this time when Jesus started his ministry, John the Baptist was telling people, the Messiah is coming. The kingdom of God is coming soon. Uh, prepare your hearts. The Messiah is coming. And so he's talking about that. And then the Gospel of Mark also talks about there was the baptism of Jesus. He briefly mentions that, and Jesus was baptized, and the Holy Spirit descended in a, like a dove on him, and God the Father spoke from heaven, saying, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. Kind of interesting, maybe interesting, Bible nerd moment. This is one of the very few times that we see the three figures in the Godhead. So the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. A little hard to get our minds around, like how can he be three complete distinct gods, but one God. And, but this is one of the very few moments where you see distinctly God the Father speaking from heaven, Jesus the Son in the water, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove descending. Three distinct Godhead moments, and one of the few times in Scripture that you see that. I found that interesting, and maybe a couple of you did as well. Um, But this is that moment, baptism, the Holy Spirit descends, and then Jesus is led into the desert to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. All important details in the story of Jesus. Mark kind of breezes through them pretty quick, but we're going to come back to them because there's a progression there. There's a significance there, and we're going to come back to that in a minute. But where we're starting today is in verse 14 and 15 of Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it says this, After John was put in prison, speaking of John the Baptist, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is a a pivotal moment. This is a significant moment where Jesus is announcing the kingdom of God has now come. For thousands of years, prophets have been saying it will come one day. It will come one day. And I imagine there was many a people that thought, man, we've been saying this for a long time. Is it ever going to happen? And then Jesus steps up, says, it is now. The kingdom of God has come near. God has come to his people. God is dwelling with his people. It kind of sounds a little bit like the Christmas story where we remember in the other gospels, Emmanuel, baby Jesus, God has come. There was rejoicing there. This is a significant, as, as significant of a moment for the people because many people, most people wouldn't have been expecting this from 
you know, they wouldn't have known Jesus was going to be the Messiah. It's not like the birth of Jesus was a, a big national event that everyone noticed, and, and all of a sudden everyone's like, well, he's going to, the whole nation's like watching Jesus grow up. One day he's going to be the Messiah. Most people weren't aware of that. In fact, it says that when Jesus began to minister in his hometown where he grew up, a lot of people had a hard time believing it because they remember, this Jesus, that's the kid who grew up down the street. How can he be God? It would be, which is understandable. If you had a kid in your neighborhood that grew up in your neighborhood, you know, that you watched every day riding up and down the street on his ripstick, and then one day your spouse comes in and says, you know Tanner from down the street? Well, he's ushering in the kingdom of God. And you'd be like, mm, I don't think so. This is kind of what was happening with Jesus. So this moment where Jesus declares the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God has come near. This is a significant significant moment. Jesus is making this proclamation. Everything the Old Testament prophets have prophesied about, everything in the Old Testament has pointed to this. The kingdom of God has come now. That's what we're going to talk about today. Jesus was not talking about uh, reestablishing a nation or a national kingdom, even though a lot of people in that first century Judea area would have wanted him to establish Israel as a nation again. And stage a rebellion against the Roman Empire and get their freedom back. This is what a lot of people wanted Jesus to do and thought he was going to do. But it wasn't that kind of kingdom. It wasn't a geographical kingdom, even though many thought he would do that. This was much bigger. The kingdom of God was much bigger than that. And Jesus declared it. God has come to do his work. God's purposes on the earth have now been established. That's a great way to look at the kingdom of God is God's purpose on the earth is moving forward. And Jesus starts that. It says God's plan for the earth to make things right is now in motion. This is what Jesus came to do. This is the good news that we have, a declaration that God has stepped in. He's accomplishing his plan. He is seeing his work accomplished. And specifically, you can see this through the Gospels. Jesus refers to why he came to earth, the work that he was sent to do. And I have a couple examples. They'll be up on the screen. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This was the work of Jesus. Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, speaking about the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. I have not come to abolish them, to, to, but to fulfill them. Jesus was the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament and the Old Covenant was pointing to. And finally, John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus is referring to the thief being the enemy of our soul. You might think that this world is all natural and what we see is everything there is. We believe what the Bible says is that there is a spiritual element to the reality we live in. There are forces of good. There are angels and forces of good, spiritual forces of good and spiritual forces of the enemy, the devil, our enemy, that's trying to, as Jesus declared, come to steal and kill and destroy. You have an enemy of your soul, but Jesus has come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is the work of God being established through Jesus Christ. He came so that we could have life and have it to the full. The kingdom of God at work really can be boiled down to two things, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Two things, it's this, to redeem what is lost and restore what is broken. Everyone say redeem and restore. 
redeeming what is lost and restoring what is broken. This is what God is up to. If you want to know what it means to be in the kingdom of God, it's his work around the world to redeem what is lost and restore what is broken. And we see in our world, we see in our own lives, there is lostness, there is brokenness, there is darkness, and the kingdom of God is still at work making things right, making things new, fullness of life that Jesus talked about, redeeming the lost and restoring the broken. And as we focus on the ministry of Jesus through the Gospels over the next few weeks, you're going to see this. Everything he does is about redeeming what is lost, restoring what is broken. God is making things right. You see right away, if you read on in Mark chapter 1, after he makes this announcement, the kingdom of God has come near. It's now being established. He calls his, his first disciples to follow him, and right away he goes and drives out a demonic spirit. And then right after that, people start bringing the sick, and he's healing them. So it is not just a message of salvation and eternal life once we get to heaven. It is a message of, I'm making things right right now. The things that are broken, I have come to bring fullness of life to the people who are lost and broken. And you see this in his ministry. So as we look at those two things, to redeem and restore, I want us to look at it today in two ways. In us and through us. Okay? So that work of redemption and restoration, God wants to accomplish that in you and through you. Okay? It's not just either or. So a lot of people might think one or the other, where they think, okay, I see, I hear that God's on the move all over the world, and there's great miracles in other countries, and revivals, and people are getting saved, and all this thing. God is at work around the world, but in your life, you're just like, yeah, but I'm just, I'm broken, I'm lost, I'm going to church, but there is, there, nothing else is going on here. God must be just moving around the world. That's true, but God wants to do it in you as well. And the flip side is to say, okay, I'm saved, and I'm forgiven, and I'm a Christian now, and I don't even really care. The rest of the world can kind of figure it out on their own. Well, no, God has a plan to redeem the world, not just in you, but through you. Not just restore what is broken in you, but to use you to restore what is broken in our world. This is God's plan, to use his people in that way. There's many times where I think, God, this is a faulty plan because people are weird and messed up. But this, And God could just kind of snap his finger and make everything right, kind of the opposite of Thanos in Endgame. He snaps his fingers and make everything right. That would be simple. That would be easy. But God, in his wisdom, has chosen to redeem the world through you and me. This is part of being in the kingdom of God. So let's look at that. In your life, first of all, in your life, God wants to redeem and restore. God wants to redeem what is lost in your life. So that might be as simple as God wants you to be saved. God wants you to have that relationship with him restored through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That might be the step for you today, is to make that relationship right again. Where your sin had severed that relationship with you and God, now Jesus, because he died and rose, that relationship can be restored if we receive the salvation and mercy of Jesus Christ. That might be the simplest and most profound way that you can have a redemption work in your life. But he also wants to restore in you what is broken. He wants to restore in you what is broken. The areas of your life that are hurt, that there's trauma, that there's brokenness, that there's sin, that there's someone has done something, caused some harm, and there is hurt there. There is shame there. Whatever it is, there's a pattern of sin there. God wants to come in and restore that. Bring healing where there's brokenness so that you could have fullness of life, not just 
I'm a Christian and I'm going to heaven. But that process of being made new will start now where the darkness and the brokenness in you, he's going to come in and do that work of restoration. It's like an HGTV. You're an HGTV project where it's like a home renovation and God is doing a work. We experienced that with this building over the year. If you're new here, this building was about a year-long renovation project. And there were several times that I said, God, you're going to have to do your work, establish your kingdom because we're out of money and there's work that needs to be done. We, we uncovered a few secret problems. We knew a lot of the problems that we were getting into and then the wall by the stairs that you walked up to come up here, we, we had to take the sheetrock off to do something. And then once you took the sheetrock off on the inside, you could literally push on the wall and it would all move. And so my solution was simple. Put that sheetrock back on. <laughs> and put a sign on there that says, don't lean on this wall. It's like one piece of paper and some scotch tape and problem solved. No, of course we couldn't do that. You have to go in and you have to make right what's, it's a restoration. You get to the root of the problem. The wall had been damaged and it had all rotted away and it wasn't put together well in the first place. It had to get in there, do some work. It was expensive and it took some time. Um, this was part of the renovation project. It's not, a, it's not as simple in your life of just saying, I've got this area of brokenness, I'm just going to put a coat of paint on it or I'm going to put a band-aid on it. It's it needs to get rooted out. This is the work that God wants to do. The, the baby nursery, where the babies are right now, the, when we started tearing into the floor there in the renovation, we, we realized there had been a fire there at some point in the history of this building, which the history of this building is about 140 years old. There was a fire there, and you could see in the floor joists, a lot of them had kind of burned away. There was evidence of a fire, and someone had done a poor job at reinforcing them, and we said, well, that's no good. So that was another, like, let's get to the root of the problem. We got to rebuild this. We got to make it so that it is structurally sound. We got to make, and they did. The engineer and the contractor, they, what I would consider, although I'm not an engineer, oh, they over engineered it where there were so many beams and joists put in there. We could have 10,000 babies in that room right now and they'd be solid and safe. But this was the work. It's the same in your life. It's, there's, there's damage, there's sin, there's negative patterns of thought. And God doesn't want to just come in and say, oh, just ignore it or just put a band-aid on it. He wants to get to the root of the problem. He wants to get in there and do that restoration so that you are prepared then to have a strong faith built on that so that there's not, uh, in, the, in the foundation of your life, there's not, it's not shaky ground. It's not a rotted wall that people can push on and it falls over, that there is strength there. This is the work of restoration that God wants to do in you. It's not just about forgiveness of sins, even though that's awesome. It's more than that. This is illustrated or spoken about in Romans chapter 6, 1 through 4. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a group of Christians in Rome. And he is addressing this issue that people have of, well, if Jesus saves us, if we're saved by grace, then it really doesn't matter what we do. It really doesn't matter what's going on on the inside because we just receive the grace of Jesus. And Paul is addressing that when he writes this in Romans 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ Jesus or Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, we too may live, a, what does it say? A new life. A new life. What Paul is saying is our salvation, the way Jesus died on the cross, 
when we are saved, our old life, our old brokenness is all crucified with Christ. We are dead to that. That's what's signified when we get lowered into baptism, when we get lowered into the water, getting baptized. That old self is gone. We have died to that, the old way of sin and brokenness, and now we are raised up again like Christ was raised up in new life, in fullness of life, this work of restoration. It's a lifelong process. God isn't going to be like, hey, we're done now. I mean, I mean, I'll put my hand up first so you all know it's safe. Anyone realize that there still is work that God is doing in you, that it is not a work that's ever complete? Right, it is a process, but it is a refining process. There's a deep work that God wants to do in your life to redeem it and to restore it so that you can live in fullness of life in the kingdom of God. Now, this can happen in any season of life that you're in, okay? This can happen in any stage of life that you're in. And sometimes God has you in a certain season because there's a lesson he's teaching you that can only be learned in that season, right? We talked about this when we did a sermon series a couple of months ago called In the Valley. When we walk through a storm, there is things that God is forming in you that can only be formed in a storm, in a valley, Maybe you're feeling like you're working hard and nobody's noticing or you're kind of feeling in solitude or um, there's, a, there's a season that God is, God is using that season to form something in you, to prepare you for something. Maybe you're waiting for a promise of God to be fulfilled and you're waiting and you're thinking, I'm just wasting time. You're not wasting time. There is a purpose for that season. God is forming something in you that can only be formed in that season of waiting. In a season of suffering or anonymity or whatever it is, of darkness or a battle, God is using that season. He can use any season. So whatever season you're in in life right now, God is at work. Don't forsake the work that he is doing. We see this in Mark chapter 1. I mentioned that there was a progression there where it's talking about John the Baptist prepared the way. There was no mention of Jesus' birth. And we know that about 30 years took place between when Jesus was born and when he started his ministry. So those 30 years, there's no mention of Jesus' life. Was that just wasted time? Of course not. That was God doing a work, preparing. That was Jesus learning the disciplines of Scripture, memorization and reading and prayer and devotion and surrendering his heart to the will of God and all of these things, that work that happened in him. All that, it was not a wasted time. Even those years when John the Baptist was preaching and Jesus would have been around listening to John the Baptist preach, thinking, oh, it's almost my turn, it's almost my turn. I'm sure there was moments where it's, he's probably like, I, I should probably start now, right? But he had that moment of waiting and God was preparing. God was preparing for him. He was using that season. I want to talk to the young people here today. Young people, if you're here, and everyone here thinks they're young, but young people, you're growing up. Don't waste these years that you're in right now. These are formative years. I know cell phones and TikTok are awesome. They are a huge waste of time. I've experienced that firsthand, right? I see some taps on shoulders right now. This is the time of your life where God is forming in you the things that you're going to need to accomplish his work. This is where you learn how to read the Bible. This is where you learn how to pray, how to study scripture. This is where you build that foundation of faith. Parents, this is what we are in charge of with our kids so that they would learn these lessons. Don't waste these years. Grown-ups, maybe you're in a season where you feel like you're in a holding pattern. Don't waste any time. There is work that God is doing in you. There is work that God is doing in you. We see that Mark referenced then the, the baptism and the Holy Spirit 
descending, and it might be a, maybe the step for you is just a decision to follow Jesus, or maybe it's just a, God, I need your Holy Spirit in my life to fill me up with everything I need so that I have the boldness, I have the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit evident in my life so that I can accomplish the work that you have for me. But right after that big significant moment, the baptism and the dove and, the, and God the Father speaking from heaven, well, that's when Jesus is led into the wilderness where he is tempted. And he goes right into a season of testing and strengthening. And then his public ministry begins. This is not a coincidence, those order of events. That right after the big baptism moment and before he starts his public ministry, there is a season of trial and temptation. Do you think that if you open up your heart to God, open up your heart to the kingdom of God, open up your heart to be used by God, and you make a decision to follow him no matter what, you're receiving the Holy Spirit, do you think that that might also be accompanied by a, a season of opposition from your spiritual enemy, the thief that wants to come and steal and kill and destroy? Of course. I've talked to people who have given their life to Jesus, and they talk to me the next week, and they're like, you didn't tell me I was going to have the worst week I've had. And I said, yeah, it happens, where you, you make that step of faith, and what's the enemy of your soul going to do? He's going to want to try to derail you, because you being committed to the kingdom of God is something the enemy doesn't want. So, of course, he's going to ratchet up the spiritual opposition in your life. You do not need to be afraid of this, but I'm just telling you, this is what happens when you are ready to step into a new season of what God has for you, a new step of faith, a new level of commitment. There's going to be opposition that comes your way. And you stand on the word of God, and you say, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And you move forward. God is faithful. But don't be discouraged by those seasons of darkness or testing or, or trial or the valley. Don't be discouraged by that. This is going to happen. So when we're talking about the work that God is doing in you, don't cut it short. Don't skip out on it. Don't allow areas of your life to be held from God and say, I'll, you, I'll just deal with this. I'm used to it by now. No, let God do the work. A pattern of sin or behavior or negative thoughts or whatever it is, let God do his work. If you're stuck in a season that you feel like you're waiting, man, when we were ready to plant this church, there was about a four-year season where we were waiting for God to kind of unveil his plan. We were ready. We're like, God, we're, put me in, coach. We're ready. And it was a few times we're like, God, you're wasting time, right? It seems like it's taken a long time. We were getting impatient a little bit. But then when we finally were able to plant this church, we were able to look back, and hindsight does this, where we were able to look back and say, oh, but look at all that God taught us. Look at all the circumstances that he ordered during that season where we thought we were just in a holding pattern. God was moving and orchestrating things and providing for things and bringing people into our path that were going to help us. And, and we look back and we say, well, that was perfect timing. Same with this building. We prayed for this building for about five years, and there was moments where we were both ready to give up and say, God, I don't know if we heard you right because it's time after time. It's a closed door. And then finally, when God opened the door, we look back and we say, well, of course, look at all that he did. We're in a way better spot now than we would have been had we, you know, gone on our own path. God, it turns out, knew what he was doing the whole time, right? This is what he wants to do in you. Don't forsake the work that he is doing in you to redeem your life and to restore what is broken to make everything new. Amen? All right, the next one is this, and we're going to only be a couple minutes on this. There is also a redemptive work that God wants to accomplish through you. So it's not just your life to be made whole, but to use your life to bring about restoration to everything that is broken in the world. This good news is more than just salvation for you, and that's awesome. 
but, and God's doing a refining work and redeeming, but he wants to use you to be a part of his kingdom, to be a part of his redemption in the world. Jesus referred to his followers as salt and light. Salt is a purifier. Light illuminates the darkness. And Jesus said, if salt isn't salty anymore, it's not doing what it's supposed to do. It's not making an impact. Light, if it's hidden, um, it's not doing what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to shine and illuminate. That's what he says about us. If you're not making a difference, if you're not taking what I've done in you and going around the world, seeing God's redemptive and restorative work around the world, then you've lost the impact that you were supposed to have. So this is why we are passionate about seeing other people saved. This is why we don't just say, well, I'm good. You know, let everybody else figure it out. We go and we make sure other people hear the message of Jesus Christ. And more than that, this is why we take up the cause of justice around the world. This is why we take up the cause of valuing human life, all human life, the unborn, the widow, the orphan, the refugee, the victim of violence and slavery, the oppressed. We go and we say, we are here to take what is broken and see God make it right through us, right? This is why we are here. The kingdom of God moving through us. God redeems your life for a purpose, to use it, to use it. So some of you might be thinking, how can, what do I even do? Where do I even start? You know, I don't, what do I got to, I, I don't got redeeming powers in me. Here's what you have and here's what we all have. We all have our story, our testimony, right? So start there. Start with your story, Right? We saw what Lucy did when she was leading worship this morning. That was, I did not expect that coming, so that threw me for a loop. I didn't even look over at Lucy's mother. But that was, that was her using her story because a really, really dark season several years ago that the enemy meant to bring harm and destruction, not only did God prove himself faithful, which had to drive the enemy crazy, but now Lucy is using her story to bring redemption to other people. God is using that. Um, you, most of you know Stephen and Brooke Maxwell in our church. Brooke, you know, is 28, young mother, and t- actual 28, not the 28 that we all say we are when we're 48 and we say, I'm about 28. Um, she's walked through some trauma in her life, some really difficult stuff when she was a teenager. And I say to her often, I say, just the fact that you are a somewhat normal functioning adult <laughs> is, is remarkable enough for what she's walked through, let alone how she has allowed God to bring redemption and restoration in her, and now she's using her story to shine the light of Jesus to other people. So that's just got to drive the enemy crazy, right? What he meant to trip you up, to bring death and destruction, and now God has healed it and is using it to bring people into the kingdom, using it to see the kingdom of God move forth. That's, so use your story, whatever your story is. Say, I, I walked through this and God was faithful. I was lost and God found me. I was an addict and God caused me to recover. God brought healing. Patty, Dennis, you and Dennis is another story of, of what the enemy meant for harm. God is using for good. God is using for good. Think about the lives that you guys are touching because you've allowed God to redeem your story. You have a story. You have a testimony of God's goodness and faithfulness. Just use that. Use that. So the whole takeaway from the message today is this. Just participate. Just participate in your life and through your life. A work of redemption and restoration. Whatever God is kind of tugging on your heart today to say, I, I want to do this work, let's correct this, this area of your life, this pattern of sin, this brokenness, this hurt, this trauma, this grief, whatever it is. 
And whatever you got to do, allow God to do that. It might be going to see a doctor or a counselor. It might be uh, sharing it with a, the fellowship of other believers, at time and fasting and prayer. Whatever it is, could be any number of things. But the Holy Spirit is faithful to lead you and guide you in that work so that you can, not, you can have no areas of your life that you feel like, oh, it's just still broken and still dark. It's never going to be perfect. There's always a refining work that's going to be done. But God wants to bring new life in you and also through you. Participate in what God wants you to do. Participate in it. Tell your story. Invite someone to church. Share about Jesus with somebody. Find a missionary to partner with them. Support our Mexico missions trip. Just be a part of what the kingdom of God is doing, not just in you, but through you around the world. Don't shrink back from what he wants to do. So one final thought as we close today. And here's what it is. When those verses that I read at the start of the message, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. It's, it's interesting to me that that sentence, that first sentence is in there. After John was put in prison. And I think there's kind of two meanings to that. I think it's significant for two reasons. The first is that it felt like the old message of the Messiah is soon coming, soon coming, soon coming, soon coming. For thousands of years, John the Baptist was the last to proclaim that message. And it's like Jesus needed that message to be complete. And John was put in prison and his season of ministry was over. And that's when Jesus stepped in and said, oh, now the new message is coming. It was like the end of one, a significant end of the message that the Messiah is soon coming to the start of the message of the kingdom of God is here. But here's another thing that I think of is that John the Baptist had a season of ministry and this was you know, when he was put in prison and soon he would give his life for, for what he had done in proclaiming the gospel. His season of ministry was there and he served faithfully and then it came to a conclusion. And Jesus' season of ministry started. And in some translations it said, and John the Baptist was handed over to the authorities. Obvious foreshadowing of what would happen to Jesus. Jesus had a season of earthly ministry. We know Jesus is alive at the right hand of God the Father, but for his season of ministry on the earth to work on the kingdom of God, it was a defined season. And he started after John the Baptist was put in prison, and he served, and he gave his life and rose again and ascended to heaven, and his earthly season was done. And then the disciples took over. They said, well, it's our turn. The season of ministry for me starts now, and they serve faithfully, and many gave their life for the cause of Christ. And that continued, and that continued. So all that to say, the significance of this is for me to tell you, it's your turn. It's our turn. There is a defined season that we have the opportunity and the ability to be a part of the kingdom of God, his redemption and restoration around the world. It's your turn. It's your turn. Participate in the work that he's doing. Tell your story. Invite someone to church. Share about Jesus Christ. Find those who are in darkness and just meet needs. Serve. Find a widow, an orphan, foster care, adoption, whatever it is. Find ways to take the things that are dark in this world and be salt and light, seeing the kingdom of God redeem and restore in your life and through your life. Amen? Let's close in prayer. And just let's take a moment and just allow the Holy Spirit to kind of speak to you of what this means just for your life. It might be a, a message of today you just need to make a commitment to get saved, to give your life to Jesus Christ. And if you would uh, acknowledge your sin and believe that Jesus rose from the dead, died for you and rose from the dead, and confess it with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord of your life, then you fall into that category where Jesus came that you would have new life. This is the new life that God has for you.
It might be a moment of commitment or dedication signified by that baptism and Holy Spirit moment for Jesus in Mark chapter 1 where it might be a commitment of, Lord, I'm in. I'm in. I'm ready to do whatever you want. Or you might be a, a Holy Spirit moment where you open yourself up to God and say, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Baptize me in the Holy Spirit. I want to be equipped with everything I need to accomplish the work that you have for me. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He fills us with boldness. He fills us with the power of God in our life to do the things that God has called us to do. And it's just as simple as just asking, God, I, I want to receive the Holy Spirit. Fill me up with everything you have for me. Maybe that's your commitment step today. Maybe you're in a season of darkness or trial and you just are ready to give up. And I just want to encourage you, God is working in this season. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't forsake the work that God is doing. Or you're, you're in a young position in life or in your faith where you just feel like you're just not really doing much, God is preparing you. God is preparing you, building that foundation of faith. Whatever it is in your life, participate in the work of God. So, Heavenly Father, we, we commit ourselves to you. We want to be a part of your work, your kingdom, in us and through us. So, Lord, I pray that you would guide us and direct us. Areas of our life that you want to come in and bring healing to, we open up our hearts to you, every area of our life. Areas of this world that you want us to go into to bring healing, to bring salvation. Lord, we are willing to go. We're willing to be used by you in any way. And when the enemy comes to try to steal and kill and destroy, we stand on the word of God and saying, God is with me. God is forming things in me. God is working in ways that I cannot see. He is with me in the storm. He's with me on the mountaintop. He has a plan for my life that will not, he will not forsake us. He will bring it to completion. So we participate in that today, God, the kingdom of God. Thank you for using us. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of this kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you.